If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5. We're winding down in terms of our study in this book, and we've been going through it. And But 1 Thessalonians is uh, it's a neat book because it's written to a fairly young church. They're, they're a group of people that uh, Paul spent a, a short period of time with, and he started the church, and then when he sent people back, he found out that they were flourishing and doing well, and... So as we come to the end, we're going to come back to the first of chapter 5 next week. Um, I want to come there, but I want to go to First uh, Thessalonians 5, beginning in the 12th verse and going down through the 22nd verse, and just talk about what the church is and what's important about the church. Church is not, as I mentioned earlier, it's not a building. I think a lot of people think of church in terms of where you meet, and uh, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's, it goes beyond that. They also think of it as an organization. I join a club. I join an organization, and that's not it either. Uh, church is made up of those people who are called out by God to be part of this fellowship, to be part of this family. And it's really about relationships. As we look at this passage today, we're, we're going to see that. I was reading a, a number of messages, sermons on this passage and uh, commentaries, as well as doing my own study, and I... I uh, read this, a man, well-known man, uh, made this statement. He said, I heard a man say the most important thing in learning to relate to others, because that's what we do in, in church. We relate to one another. We relate to God first and build that relationship and then to each other. It said, a man, I heard him say, the most important thing in learning to relate to others is personal honesty. Once you learn how to fake that, he added, everything else is easy. So it, it's a lot of people put on a face. They aren't really who they say they are. It says, many people unfortunately seem to follow that philosophy. Perhaps one of the most discouraging aspects of the modern living is not so much the moral collapse of our leaders, not so much where our politicians are. And he says, such as We've seen with many examples recently, but it's the low level of ethical behavior on the part of many Christians. It's where the church stands that we change the world, or we hold it in check with where God wants it to be. And it's so important that the church understands. And when I talk about the church, I talk about you and me. Says, I do not understand what has happened to the Christian community. Believers who go regularly to church and profess to believe the Bible often seem to go along with the practices of the world around them with hardly any consciousness that what they are doing is unbiblical and really wrong. They lie without hesitation. They avoid paying their bills. They cheat on their taxes. They ignore needy people. They fail to keep appointments. They freeload shamelessly. They lose their tempers. They grow critical and caustic. They desert their mates. If, if the Apostle Paul were here, he would be very concerned about this. To him, the mark of a true Christian faith is that it changes everything we do and say. It affects every area of your life. A Christian may no longer act as he did, did before he came to know Christ. I think that's important. God changes us. And, and, and changes we can't make in and of ourselves. You know, we find our, our lives are unmanageable. We're distracted. We're moving in directions that God would say probably aren't the directions we should be moving. And yet... 
if we try to make the changes by our own strength, we don't make it. Because it's only by the power of God. And it's only by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. I want to read this passage to you. And then for the next two weeks, we're going to come back and we're going to look at four areas that I believe are important to the church. But it's uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. It says, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek what is good for one another and for all people. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophetic utterances, But examine everything carefully, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today. That we would take away something that would make an impact on who we are and our relationship with this fellowship, this body of believers, and our relationship with those who live around us we come in contact with daily. Father, use this passage to change our hearts, to become all you want us to be. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we look at this passage in the next two weeks, we're going to divide it into about four areas. The first one has to do with leadership, the leadership in your body. There, You know, any organization you have, if it is to be effective, has some kind of leadership. It doesn't work otherwise. Otherwise, there's chaos. Uh, true democracy where everybody is equal and everybody does their own thing and everybody decides what's going to happen and they want everybody else to do what they want usually falls and fails. It just doesn't work. Uh, If you're on the job, you've probably got a boss. Um, In your home, there is some type of leadership. The Bible sets it out in terms of husband, wife, and children. Um, If you go to school, there's a school teacher. She needs to have control of her class or she's not going to teach anything. And so there is always leadership, and that is the case with the church as well. And we're going to talk a little more about that for a few minutes today. Secondly, is how we relate to our peers. It's not talking about what the leader does, but it's talking about those of us who are part of the fellowship coming alongside of people who may be struggling, who may be hurting. And that may take time, and it may take effort, but... It says we're to be patient with all, and that means when everybody doesn't fall right in line with what is we think they ought to be doing, we still need to be patient. That patience term means long-suffering, and sometimes that's just kind of how we feel about it. But the second point is how we relate to our peers within the body of Christ. The third one has to do, and we'll get into this next week, has to do with who we are and our walk and what our attitude should be. Uh, this is one people struggle with. You know, we love to read this passage where it says, Rejoice always. And say, yeah, I want to be happy all the time. <laughs> but we aren't, are we? Because, you see, happiness has to do with our circumstance. But joy is something much deeper. 
and it's something God gives. And, and it's a command here that we are to rejoice always. It's, it's not something that just happens or an emotion. It's a decision we make. Um, pray without ceasing. doesn't mean you're on your knees all the time, but it does mean that you're in a state where you can come before the Lord continuously. Uh, rejoice, give thanks in everything. Wow. Is that hard for you sometimes? It is for me. There are some things I'm, I'm not very thankful about. I, Lord, you're kidding. And yet I realize that as I look at what God's doing in my life and what he's doing in my family and what's happening, that God is working for our good. And uh, we need to understand that. And so we rejoice. And we're going to come back and look at that next week. And then it talks about our relationship with, with God a little more and, and how we relate to him. As we get down here, and it says, don't quench the spirit, don't despise the Bible, uh, examine everything carefully, hold fast to what's good, abstain from every form, every appearance of evil. And sometimes you're going to look at things and say, well, that's not evil. And it may not be for you. But we have to be careful of appearances, too. It all comes together. And so we're going to look at those things as, as we get into it a little more. But I want to talk about... Um, verse 22 or 12 through 13 right now and it says but we request of you brethren that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord remember that statement in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work live in peace with one another live in peace with one another begins by simply saying, uh, down here, we request, brethren, or we ask that you appreciate that one. That comes from the word to know, that you know your leaders, that you understand them, that you get an idea of who they are and what they do and what they're accomplishing and, and what their life is like. It, it's, it doesn't simply say you appreciate somebody because they have a title, I, I don't think that's the idea, but it's the idea of what they do. Uh, how are they working within the church? How are they part of the body? It goes on there and says, those who diligently work among you. And that means that they are faithful in the task to which God's called them. In terms of, of relationships with pastors and elders and deacons and others in leadership, in the church, and it isn't just pastors, but those who are teaching and in leadership, there's two big errors that we have. And one is that we take them and we put them on a pedestal. We say, oh, he's the pastor. Oh, he's the elder. He's the teacher. He's, uh, you know, and, and, and we put them up there and they can kind of do no wrong. And the higher you get them up on that pedestal, the harder they're going to fall. Because, see, none of us are perfect. And somewhere along the line, we're going to... Do something, and you will be disenchanted with that individual. And so I would say today, don't, don't take your pastor and put him up here. Don't make him into something that God never intended for him to be. The other thing you don't do with your pastor is you don't make him into a doormat that you walk on. And, you know, I've seen that in churches where... Uh, an individual or men in a congregation or people in the congregation want to be in control and they want to kind of tell the pastor what to do. And he never sets vision and he never directs the church. He never gives guidance as God said, but he is to diligently labor among you 
And I would say he is to be one who leads. It says they have charge over you. That isn't that they're a dictator, but they have charge over you in the Lord. That means that they stand before the Lord with you. And uh, I, I think it's like a shepherd. When we were living in central Oregon, we had sheep. Uh, we didn't have them, but there were people that had sheep. We had a couple, but they, I remember a huge flock of sheep. And they were going down the middle of the road, and uh, as I came up behind them in my car, they were, uh, and they were frightened. There were dogs behind them. There were men on horseback. There was a man in a pickup, and they were driving those sheep. And the sheep were frightened to death. And that's not how it's supposed to be in the church with the shepherd. He doesn't drive the sheep. He, he's not a dictatorial type person. That's, that's not what God expects. On the other hand, it's not that the sheep are to drive the shepherd. You know, well, we're going to go here today. We're going to go there today. We're going to do this today. And, and the shepherd just kind of goes along. But in the, in the Middle East during the time of Jesus... They paint the picture of the shepherd as one who goes out and he calls his sheep forward from the sheepfold and they come because they hear his voice. They have that relationship with him. They trust him and he leads them. And I really believe that's the picture. There is a loving relationship between the shepherd and the flock and he leads them and they respect him as a result of the work that he does as a result of his leadership and then the fact that he gives instruction, it goes here, who diligently labor among you, one, who have charge over you or give direction in the Lord, they lead and they give instruction. That word for instruction can be translated admonition. They teach, they teach the Bible. We don't have anything else to teach. You know, I, I've had people come to me and say, I'm so glad that you teach from the Bible. I don't have anything else. If you heard what I think, you probably wouldn't want to listen to it. So we go back to the Bible because that's what's important. But to admonish is also to warn. And I think the church is the one place where we have a reasonable voice for the things of God today. Because the world is drifting away so quickly. And it's a matter of coming back and saying, what does the Bible teach? And that needs to come from our pulpits. That needs to come from our teachers. And so your pastor needs to be a teacher just very quickly. And then it says, you esteem them highly in love. In other words, you give them value because of the work they do and the position and I would just say that no pastor's perfect. And I think sometimes churches have given them big titles that I'm glad I don't have a big title. Uh, I'm not a bishop. I, I remember a man was setting up my website and he put on there as my, my name for my internet Reverend Andy Cochran. I went, what are you doing? Change it. I can't. The last thing I wanted was for me. I don't have a motorcycle. I, I don't rev or anything like that. 
And, you know, I, I think there's a thing where we are all brothers and sisters. We may have different positions within the body. But there is an equality in our relationship with God. And it's gotten to the point where people call me Pastor Andy. Uh, when we started out, I, I didn't want that. I said, call me Andy. My mom called me Andy. My dad called me Andy. That was my given name. And if you want to just call me Andy, that's fine with me. But some people struggle with that. They want to put some kind of title on there. You don't need to. It's the idea that we respect, but we don't take that person and put him to such a high level that he'll never live up to your expectations. So when it looks at that, I, I would simply say in the body of believers, there has to be leadership. If there is not leadership, and there's not respect for that leadership, that church probably won't go anywhere. It's just important. And then it says we're to live with peace at peace with one another, and I, I just really believe that's kind of the idea of not creating factions. Uh, leaders are sent by the Lord, and, and there needs to be a oneness, and they admonish and they teach, and that's important. The second thing, though, as we go down here, is found in verse 14 and 15. It has to do with the idea of how do we relate to one another. And... Uh, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. And boy, I think we can just stop right there if we wanted to and say, seek what's good for everybody. Seek what's good for the individuals in the church. Seek what's good for the people in your family. Seek what's good for your neighbor. Even though you say he or she may not deserve it, that's not the issue. Admonish the unruly. Unruly comes from a military term, which means to, to leave rank. Uh, another translation was <laughs> admonish the lazy. They're, they're people who are kind of in rebellion and they're doing their own thing. And you remember earlier on in the book of Thessalonians when we were reading, it said that there were those individuals realizing that Jesus was coming back soon. They quit working. And they sat at home and just kind of hung out or they went to neighbor's house and they would gossip and they would talk. And they had this idea of entitlement that somebody should take care of me in the church and they should feed me. And what Paul's really saying is here, you need to encourage them to get back to work. You need to encourage them to do their part, to carry on the role that they have in the society and culture in which we live and in the church and be one who gives rather than simply looking for what you can receive. Encourage the unruly or admonish the unruly. <laughs> encourage the faint-hearted. Uh, the term faint-hearted really comes from a literal meaning, a small-souled person. They're fearful. They're anxious. They don't really believe that they can do much. They, they don't have gifts in their mind. You know, the Bible teaches us that when you become a Christian, God gives you a gift to be used in the body. But a lot of times people sit back and don't do anything because they think, oh, I can't do anything. I don't have any abilities. There's almost a fear, a shaking. Darlene told me about a little girl in her class this week that uh, first three days of, of first grade, and she came in, and she's just shaking. 
She's so frightened. And sometimes when people ask us to do things, we're a little bit that way, aren't we? I can't do that. I don't have that ability. I can't share. I can't talk. I can't teach. I can't. And instead of finding what God wants us to do, we pull back. And what it's saying here is that we who may be stronger in those things need to come alongside of those individuals and build a relationship with them. We need to build up their strength, their self-assurance. It may mean you have to call them periodically and say, hi, how you doing? Just, boy, it's so good to see you. Yeah, come and go with me to this Bible study. Why don't you get involved with maybe teaching or helping us with the children? How about working in the nursery? How about uh, setting up out front when we have fellowship? Oh, there's things you can do. Man, you're going to find them here. They're going to be here. And so we all get involved. But it's, it, it helps if someone comes alongside, doesn't it? Because we don't do that easily by ourselves. And so here's the faint-hearted. The small-souled person is, is the definition. I don't like it quite so much, but it's the idea that there are people that need to have someone come alongside and encourage them. The third point here is to help the weak, and these are people who... I don't think they're weak physically. That's not what it's talking about. But it's talking about the idea that they are weak spiritually. They they aren't sure what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable. And maybe they're a new believer and they don't know if the things they've been doing are right or wrong and they're concerned. In Romans chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Now accept the one who is weak in the faith. Their faith is not strong but not for the purpose of passing judgment on their opinions. It's to, to build them up, to be a friend, strengthen their faith. Faith is believing that God's going to do amazing things in us. Faith is believing I can be used by God, even though I'm not sure how yet. Faith is believing that I can step out and be where God wants me to be. You know, in terms of spiritual gifts, we, uh, we give a spiritual inventory, a gift inventory here at the church. But the best way to find out what your gift is and what God has gifted you to do, it, it's probably not what you do at work. It may be, but it may not be. You can use those talents for God too. But the way to find your spiritual gift is to get involved. And in time, you'll be drawn back time and time and time to the same thing. And do you know what? You'll be successful at it. You'll find that you have joy there. And so you get involved in that because that's what God has prepared you for. So we come alongside and we help the weak. And that, again, is building that relationship. It's all about relationships. It's all about relationships. And then... Finally, listen to what, what Paul says here. He said, be patient with everyone. So it encompasses everybody. Maybe somebody has an idiosyncrasy and you just don't quite get it. We be patient. We be long-suffering. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. Do you remember the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's the positive side, isn't it? There are three ways that some people take that. 
Those who do not know Jesus Christ, don't want to have anything to do with him, often take it this way. Do unto them before they get a chance to do to you. And it's all negative. Boy, be aggressive. It's taking advantage of others. There's a second one, and this is people who are a little more, well, not so aggressive. Do unto others after they've done unto you. Get even. You know, we hear a lot about people today asking for justice. We want justice. You know what? Justice means I want to get even. Vengeance is mine. That's usually the thought. They hurt me. I want them hurt in the same way. Now, I'll tell you, we are going to reap what we sow. So if you have been hurt people, you've done things that are wrong, justice will be there. But wanting justice, wanting to get even, doesn't change anything except to make you angry, except to hurt you. And so if we're going to be where God wants us to be, we let go. In fact, it says... uh, Jesus said, if, if your enemy offends you, give him a cup of cold water. It's just like pouring burning coals on his head. You, you don't get back. Don't give evil for evil. That's what it's talking about here. Don't always have to get back at someone because when you have that vengeful spirit, it doesn't let go of you. Always seek that which is good for everyone, for one another and for all people. Is that your goal? Should be within the church. You know, when we, when we apply these things in the body of believers, we apply our relationship with God as we're going to get back to a little more next week, and, and we talk about the, the role of leadership, and we talk about the role of peer one-to-one the church all of a sudden becomes the place you want to be because it's the most loving, caring place that you're going to find in this world. The church is God's program for the world today. From the time Jesus went to heaven, day of Pentecost, the church was created. The Local church is a local body of baptized believers who come and fellowship and worship together according to the directives of the scripture. And so this is one of those local churches. And the local church is here to make a difference in the world. It's here to make a difference in our lives as individuals and part of it. And see God make a difference in who we are. And so I encourage you to go back this week and, and read over this passage again and take each one of those points and begin to say, how does that affect me and how does that relate to me and how am I fitting in there and I'm, am I really fulfilling what God called me to do there within this body of believers at Brentwood Bible Fellowship? Let's pray, shall we? Father, you know, it's, it's amazing. We look at the church uh, sometimes with the eyes of a businessman, sometimes with the eyes of an educator, sometimes with the eyes of a politician and leadership. And 
none of those quite fit. Church is something totally different. It's a, it's a living entity, the Bible teaches us. It's not just an organization. It's like an organism that grows. Church should be the place where I come on Sunday morning to get relief from everything I've gone through the six days previously. Church is a special place of acceptance and love and forgiveness. It's like a hospital, Father, where we're healed of our hurts, our hang-ups, our habits. It's a place where you use your children to minister to one another and to effectively do that. And so I pray for our church this morning, Brentwood Bible Fellowship. I pray that truly it would be the body of believers, a body of believers that would make a difference in people's lives. Not just a place where we come and meet on Sunday mornings, but where we really see the Spirit move and make a difference in who we are. Because we are obedient to you. Thank you, Father, for, uh, for the message from your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.